Let's Talk Hope is more than the title of our podcast. It's a heartfelt call for understanding based on knowledge, believing, sharing, and trusting. I'm Marian Shuck, host of Let's Talk Hope. In this first year, we've heard emotional stories of pain, acceptance, triumph, and resilience. In this look back at some of our favorite episodes, we're sharing a favorite conversation I had with Sean Martin, the Director of Tissue Recovery at the Gift of Hope Organ and Tissue Donor Network, about how his personal and professional life suddenly intersected when his teenage son died. And just so you know, we're busy planning new powerful episodes that we'll begin sharing in March. And remember, all of our episodes are available wherever you listen to podcasts. Let's listen to Sean's story together. Coping with death is never easy, even when you work for an organ procurement organization. Matthew passed away at home and asleep. The police were here, the coroner was here doing their investigation, and I didn't even think about it. And it was my wife that looked at me and said, can he help anybody? And then immediately flipped the switch and you know, sort of went in the work mode to ensure that we could make that happen. That's Sean Martin discussing his 15-year-old son, Matthew. Matthew received a life-saving heart valve as an infant. He lived a normal life as a teenager who enjoyed sports and became a talented baseball player. Tragically, Matthew's heart stopped on May 25, 2020, and Sean and his family offered the gift of tissue on his behalf. Thanks for joining us today on Let's Talk Hope. I'm Marian Shuck, host of Let's Talk Hope, a podcast featuring stories about organ and tissue donation and the power of creating lasting legacy. Sean's not only a donor family member, he's also a colleague of mine at Gift of Hope as the Director of Tissue Operations. Sean, can you tell us just a little bit about your history at Gift of Hope? What made you join Gift of Hope and your current role? Yeah, um, so I started at Gift of Hope in August of 2002. Um, I came there from the Chicago Fire Department's first aid care team. We were looking to make a transition out into the suburbs. My wife and I were newly married, and the opportunity presented itself. And I, I thought for sure that this would just be a sort of stop along the way as I tested for other fire departments out in the suburbs. And uh, once I, I joined Gift of Hope, I knew right away that this was a really special place. And after about a year, when my father became an organ and tissue donor at Gift of Hope, I realized I wanted to make it my home for the rest of my career. Uh, my current role that I serve in now is the Director of Tissue Recovery Services. I'm responsible for leading our teams that receive the referrals in the Donor Resource Center, as well as the tissue authorization specialists who talk to families and offer the opportunity to uh, have their loved ones become a donor, as well as our tissue recovery group who performs the actual tissue recoveries. Sean, did you know anything about organ and tissue donation before deciding to join Gift of Hope? Not really. Um, it was just more of, you know, when I got my license, they asked me if I wanted to be a donor. And, you know, I said yes. And that was pretty much about the extent of it. Sean, as you know, I lost my husband, Reggie, about 18 months ago. And he was a tissue donor at Gift of Hope. And tissue donation is not always talked about, especially in communities of color. But being the director of tissue operations, you also walked the walk and allowed Matthew to be a tissue donor as well. Can you speak to the importance of tissue donation for all communities? Uh, tissue donation is way more common, or tissue transplantation, I should say, is way more common than organ donation. You know, to be an organ donor, you have to be on a ventilator and declared brain dead or 
um, have uh, one or two neurological functions, whereas tissue donation happens after the donor expires. That gives us way more opportunities to make that happen, to sort of make something good come out of that tragedy that has taken place. It's extremely important. It, it goes in everything, um, you know, from major or reconstructions like a knee or shoulder surgery, all the way down to a dental fill. It's, it's way more commonplace than uh, people would believe. Based on that, do you think it's possible people have been recipients of tissue grafts without knowing? Unfortunately, yes. I, I know we've made great strides in the industry as far as educating people before they receive that. But yeah, I would, I would definitely say that that is a strong possibility. And Sean, as you know, it was a different experience working at Gift of Hope and then becoming a donor family. You mentioned earlier that you experienced it with your father, but it's different when we lose someone in our immediate family and so close to us. How has becoming a donor family impacted the way you do your job now? I think I am way more in tune to that gift and what those families are going through at that time. You know, we've we've always preached even prior to Matthew being a donor that, you know, we we treat our donors as if it was your loved one that you would be doing the recovery on. And and I, I think it's just amplified even more now for me personally that small decisions can really impact the ability for somebody to be a donor. And so making sure that we don't stop at the first barrier we may have or that we may try to turn over every stone to ensure that we honor that wish of that family or that donor that has really brought it to to sort of the, the forefront of my mind before I start making decisions that'll impact our policies and procedures. I would love it if you could tell us more about Matthew and his legacy. Matthew uh, came into this world March 9th, 2005. Uh, it was uh, my wife and I's first child. Nothing unusual about the pregnancy or the delivery. We hadn't selected a pediatrician yet. We hadn't found one that we really liked. So um, after he was born, the hospital staff doctor came through and he, he listened to his heart and he said, oh, you know, I, I think there's a murmur, but nothing to be worried about. Totally common. Uh, we'll check back tomorrow. And so a different doctor came through the next day and she had listened and said, oh, everything's great. And so we went along our merry way. For about two weeks, Matthew was a little sort of cyanotic in the lips, and we just thought maybe his lungs weren't fully formed. So we brought him back to the doctor, and they said, oh, you know, everything's, no, everything looks good. But if it, it seems to get worse, or he starts having trouble breathing, you know, bring him back in. And so sure enough, the next day that happened, we had brought him in to see the pediatrician, and they put the uh, pulse ox on him, and he was setting at 67, which is extremely low. Typically, healthy individuals are anywhere from 97 to 100%. So from there, it was kind of a blur. We were whisked away to our community hospital out in Naperville. Then he was transferred down to uh, Advocate Children's Hospital, where we stayed for some time. Um, it was probably on, on the first admit, six or seven weeks we were there. He underwent open-heart surgery after a week, and then we went home. He endured a few more uh, after that, and his last one as a child was when he was five years old. He went in to have that heart valve replaced, and he came out total heart block. So they had to go ahead and put a pacemaker in, which was a you know something unexpected, and then a whole new layer of precautions that we had to take with him due to how fragile those are, especially in in pediatrics. So we had him home for a couple of months. Matthew had a stroke. And so we went down to uh, Lurie Children's, and it was it was pretty severe to where uh, he would have his eyes closed. The neurologist would come in and put his big clunky chain of keys in his hand, 
and he wasn't even able to uh, tell him what what he was holding on to. Um, so that was uh, that was a pretty terrifying time for all of us. And in true Matthew form, he walked out of there, you know, three weeks later with no deficits. You know, you you, you couldn't tell, and that was the sort of reoccurring theme throughout his life is that uh, he never used it as a crutch. Nobody knew unless he chose to tell them or we told them. And, and when we would tell people, it would kind of blow their mind because he was just a regular kid and, and that's, you know, how he wanted to be treated. So from there, he really found his passion and love of sports with his heart conditions that he had. You know, he wasn't able to play football or hockey or wrestling, any real contact sport. So he fell in love with baseball and golf. And so I'd take him golfing with me as much as I could. And uh, he started T-ball that summer after he had his stroke and started playing uh, travel at the age of seven and continued um, all the way up through high school. And uh, that was something that was really important to him was sort of that social aspect of being able to do everything just as good as, as all the other kids that were in the neighborhood or on his teams. We noticed something was kind of off about him. He was really lethargic sort of that summer going into his freshman year of high school. He went to school to register to, for golf tryouts, and he kind of passed out while he was there, got nauseous. And my wife and I were supposed to be leaving for a trip uh, to Ireland the next week. And so we brought him um, into the doctor to see his, his cardiologist, and one of his pacemaker leads had fractured um, that had been there since he was, you know, five. So while they were there, they took a look at the valve. They knew it was going to be time to... Uh, replaced the battery on his pacemaker and the valve uh, had some leakage. So the decision was made to replace it all, to replace his heart valve, replace his pacemaker. You know, he went in, went in the surgery and just as stoic as ever. You know, we were all a mess trying to hold it together to be strong for him. And, you know, when I talk about Gift of Hope and, and the whole industry, it, it's just a, a amazing uh, how small it is because as he was about to be wheeled off to surgery, one of the um, nurses in, um, that, that worked for his, uh, his surgeon, uh, I had known from working at the eye bank. And so that was a level of comfort. You know, we sort of recognized each other and, you know, uh, was able to introduce her to Matthew to, you know, let him know that one of dad's friends, you know, was going to be with him uh, in the operating room. And then even post-op from that surgery, we came out and uh, the nurse who took care of him in the surgical heart unit was a ex-Gift of Hope employee. So it's, it's just really, even though my life has been intertwined with my job um, and in my personal life, and, and nobody ever wants, as, as I'm sure you can appreciate, Mary, nobody ever wants to be a donor family, but you're so grateful that you had the opportunity to be one and that the people who are here at Gift of Hope and across the country working in the industry are, are some of the most caring and truly loving and compassionate people. Matthew, Rebounded right away from that surgery like he always had. Was excited for baseball tryouts. As soon as he got his strength back, he started working working really hard. And uh, that summer or that spring, he, he made his high school baseball team and was really excited. Unfortunately, due to COVID, that, that season was cut short. And he was never actually able to take the field for his high school. But that was sort of Matthew in a nutshell, just constantly faced with adversity to overcome. But never once did he ever complain. Never once did he ever, you know, use it as a crutch or, or, or blame things on that. And I, I hope if I was ever faced with the same adversity, I'd be able to sort of take it in stride and be as stoic as, as he was. Sean, you mentioned our colleagues who've worked in the tissue department. And I don't think I ever 
got a chance to really say thank you for everything because it was such a blur to me. And I just found out recently from some of your employees what actually happened in terms of Reggie's donation. The fact that you guys had an honor walk and a flag raising. And one of the amazing things that they told me was that they read the letter that I wrote to Reggie before the procurement. I just didn't know about that. And so what are some of the things that we can do because your team is really sort of behind the scenes and we don't really know everything that they do. What are some of the things that we can do to really showcase and focus your team in the amazing work that they do behind the scenes? What are some of the things that we can do to elevate a platform of tissue and really have people have a conversation? Because in my role, I hear people talk about organ donation all of the time. And somebody will say to me, well, I didn't know about tissue donation. What are some of the things that we can really do to elevate tissue donation and really talk about the life-saving enhancement work that tissue does bring to people's lives? Yeah, I think just bringing awareness to this whole other side of the donation community, because you're right, organ donation is, is what you see on TV and in movies, and it's this sense of immediate gratification or satisfaction because it's it's taken and then it's transplanted that very same day or maybe on a on a smaller delay but you know tissue recovery for the most part is sort of stretched out so much further there's a lot more processing that has to happen to make that tissue transplantable that there is some delay there with matthew it was it wasn't um not like your experience what we do behind the scenes is more about that donor family and that donor. You know, when we talk to the tissue authorization specialists, talk to families on the phone to offer that opportunity, when they say yes, we fill out a form, we ask them about their loved one, and then we will. We'll talk about that as a team before that recovery starts. And that's sort of their connected purpose that, hey, this just isn't a job. You are impacting somebody's mother, somebody's daughter, somebody's son. We really try to make that as sacred as possible. That trust that is instilled in us by families. That's kind of how it was for me. I never once batted an eye on the thought about donation. And ironically, it was my wife that brought it up. As the police were in our home, uh, Matthew passed away at home in his sleep. The police were here. The coroner was here doing their investigation. And when death is so unexpected, like you had said as well, it, it's a blur. You, it's almost like you're sort of just watching it happen and you kind of go numb. I didn't even think about it. And it was my wife that looked at me and said, can he help anybody? And then immediately flipped a switch and, you know, sort of went in the work mode to ensure that we could make that happen. I think that that is, is sort of the biggest takeaways is that it, there are so many moving pieces, so many areas where it can go bad to where somebody wouldn't be able to donate that it's amazing and a true testament to the dedication of the team that we have here at Gift of Hope and across the country at, at other OPOs that we're really able to sort of make that happen. And it's special. It's really, really special. One of the other things that people mention is that your donation is not instant like organ. Can you talk about the process of how tissue families can connect with their recipients? Sure. You know, tissue uh, families can reach out to our wonderful uh, aftercare specialist team here at Gift of Hope, who will then in turn reach out to the processors where we sent that tissue to be turned in the transplantable grafts, who will then reach out to the recipients. Through our regulatory requirements, they need to keep track of every piece of tissue that's donated, where it's transplanted, so that we can create that bridge between 
recipient and donor family. Once again, Gift of Hope impacting and, and being intertwined with my life, I was able to be a part of a donor family meeting with a family that was all the way in New Zealand. It was a partnership that, you know, one of our processors, Allosource, created, and um, it was done virtually. And I was able to sit there with this family while they, they talked about their son. It was the husband and wife and, and their other son. And, you know, they were able to talk to the young lady who received that graft. And it was so moving and so powerful. You fast forward to eight months ago today, you know, Matthew, some of Matthew's tissue went all the way over to New Zealand as well and was transplanted there. Um, he ended up, uh, according to um, the Joint Restoration Foundation, he was the largest live cartilage donor they've ever had in their history. And his tissue went from coast to coast um, in the U.S. and also all the way over to New Zealand. So when we're ready, I'm certainly looking forward to reaching out and uh, trying to connect. We did receive a letter from the transplanting surgeon down in, in New Zealand, um, expressing his gratitude for the gift and what it was able to do for his patient. Yeah, I think when we're ready, I would I would really love that opportunity to, to connect with those people. And that's made available to every single person who is a donor through Gift of Hope. I just think that's so amazing that the gift of tissue has the opportunity to travel just about everywhere. I can definitely say that before I joined Gift of Hope, I didn't really know much about tissue donation. And now when I'm in the community and in the field, it's one of the questions I get the most is that people are bewildered that you can donate skin and donate bone. And I think it would be a great opportunity if you could tell our audience about the different types of tissue you can donate and what they can be used for. Sure. Um, you know, here at Gift of Hope, we recover the long bones and the arms and the legs that can be used to replace defects that happen pretty much anywhere in the body. You can't transplant a whole bone. So if I had a problem with my humerus, you weren't able to just remove mine and then swap it out with another humerus. It's usually used as sort of scaffolding to bridge a bad fracture. We also recover tendons that'll be used in ACL, MCL repairs in the knee. We also recover skin. We recover two types of skin. We recover full thickness skin and split thickness. Split thickness is used for burn patients, and it is truly life-saving because, as, as you can imagine, you know, if, if somebody's been severely burned sitting there, the burn isn't typically the problem. It's the open to um, contamination and, and causing sepsis and getting infections. So they use that split thickness skin as almost a dressing, a live dressing to maintain that integrity. Full thickness skin is recovered and it's, it's used a lot in uh, post-radical mastectomies to rebuild tissue and overall just enhance the quality of life. And, and that's one of the big things with tissue is that, you know, if somebody's an active runner and that is what they are extremely passionate about and they have an injury or a defect that takes that passion away, it truly does then go back and save their life because they don't feel purpose. There's depression. There's a whole bunch of other things that come into play. You can also donate uh, your corneas that would be used to uh, help somebody else get the gift of sight. Uh, we recover saphenous and femoral veins that are also used in cardiac surgeries or as shunts for people who are on dialysis. And last but not least, we recover heart valves to be used in transplant surgeries like Matthew experienced. Sean, you mentioned earlier that this is a family gift, becoming a donor family. 
No one wants to be part of that. You know, now we're part of this, not only through work, but also through our loss. What are some of the things that you hope to be able to help other donor families with when you talk about tissue donation? And what has it meant to you, your wife, and your daughter to help other tissue donor families? Yeah, I think, you know, one of one of the things that I've come to sort of understand in, in the, the short time for me, the, the eight months, you know, since Matthew's passed, and I, w- I would listen to, to donor families tell their story a, a lot through Gift of Hope. You know, that's that's one of the great things is to have that platform to where you can talk about your loved one. And, you know, that's one of the things that's really resonated with me is that there is no roadmap, as you know, to grief. There's no, I tried to seek it out, really tried to find if I do this, then I do this, then I do this, I'll get some sense of normalcy or I'll feel fine. And and it's just not there. And, and every stone you flip over, it's just, it, it's a personal journey. My journey is different than your journey, Mary, and that's different than my wife's journey. Then that's probably going to be different than my daughter Riley's journey. It's through experimentation of figuring that out. But, but to, to really answer your question is that, you know, there's sort of a stigma around losing a loved one where people are afraid because they don't know what to say. So they don't say anything or they, you know, sort of just run on and run on. And I I really think for me, it's talking about Matthew because people don't want to to bring it up because they don't want to like bring me down. But I light up when somebody says, hey, tell me something about Matthew or, you know, hey, you remember when Matthew did this? And, And that's really some of the value I think we can we can provide families to assist them on their journey. Is it going to make the pain go away? No. Is it going to bring your loved one back? No. But we can provide you with a platform to share your loved one's story, to talk about them, and to let everybody know how amazing they were and all the all the great things they did, you know, leading up to the amazing donation, you know, that they had. It's really just about providing. I, I really feel that that platform is very healing, and it may not be right away. It may be years down the road where where you feel like man, I'd, I'd, I'd really like to get involved and Gift of Hope will be here and we'll have the opportunities for you to go out and talk about donation and what it means for you and, and your own personal family and, and your journey. And I, I really think that that's something that we provide that isn't talked about a lot that um, can can really aid in, in your grief journey. One final question. In community affairs and throughout the organization, we talk about two things. One, honor our donor families. And two, we talk about creating lasting legacies, changing tragedies into triumphs. What are some things that you would like to do to create that lasting legacy for Matthew's memory? Um, We kind of quickly started a a foundation in Matthew's honor. We have the Matthew Martin Foundation. We kind of have a a couple arms to it. One, we provide a scholarship to a player every year from his travel baseball organization. And then that player wears the number 75. Uh, that was Matthew's baseball number. And it's a very unique number to have in baseball. You just typically don't see it. And he picked it because it was one of my football numbers when I was playing. So, yeah, so we, we created that legacy. We'll also be offering a, a college scholarship to a player from his high school, a baseball player every year, a senior. And then we're also working with the school to do some fundraising, some other things to hopefully uh, update their press box on the varsity field, and then it'll be the Matthew Martin press box. So we're we're really excited about that. And, and throughout all of it, also talking about donation as much as we can. Long before Matthew passed, I would go out and tell his story. 
And it was a different story. And, and now that story has definitely changed. But my enthusiasm for telling it hasn't. You know, it just has a different ending right now. The, the ending isn't even over because just through those 12 people, I know both his corneas were transplanted as well. And then, you know, the skin and, and countless other tissues that were recovered um, that may or may not have been transplanted yet. You know, his, his story is going to continue to live on and it's going to live on through those people and all the great things that they're going to accomplish with their life. So just carry on, continue to talk about the, the good work that we do here at Gift of Hope. And, you know, you mentioned walking the walk. And, and I think that that is, that speaks volumes when you talk about communities and, and a lack of trust for healthcare professionals or the, the donation industry. I, I really think that when we can stand here and say, listen, we're right there with you and we do the same thing for our loved ones that we're asking you to do for yours and not just for them, but for you because it is healing. And I think that, you know, I've, I've always been, you know, more as somebody who likes to lead through example or my own actions. And I, I, I think that that's the best way, you know, really is to I'm not just telling you, you know, to be a donor because it's all these good things or to have your loved one be a donor because all these good things, I'm living it. And and so are you. And I think that that's a powerful message that, that people need to hear and, and we'll be able to impact more lives that way. You know, Sean, it really is. And what I tell families now when I'm out in the field is that I may not know your particular journey, but I do walk alongside you in grief. And you know, this is the one thing that's going to happen to all of us. We may not know when it happens, but one of the things is that it's important that we continue to tell stories so that as you say, we lead by example. We resonate in a way and share our experiences with people who are also sharing those same experiences. And I think that is very important. As we are leaders in our organization, Sean, this happened to us maybe 18, 10 months apart So I thank you so much for your story and your willingness to be able to share with us today. And thank you for sharing Matthew with us. Thanks for having me. I I will never turn down an opportunity to talk about Matthew and and share his story. So um, yeah, it just makes me smile as, as, as you guys can see. Thanks for listening to Let's Talk Hope. We encourage you to start the conversation about organ and tissue donation with your loved ones today and make your wishes known. You can register to become a donor on giftofhope.org or by texting HOPE to 51555. National Hispanic Heritage Month, which is observed September 15th through October 15th, honors the contributions Hispanics have made to American society and culture and celebrates our Mexican and Central American neighbors who commemorate their independence in September and October. In celebration of Hispanic Heritage Month, Gift of Hope, honors and recognizes the generosity of Hispanic organ and tissue donors and their families and underscores the growing need for and importance of Hispanic organ and tissue donors. We also celebrate Hispanic transplant recipients, medical professionals, and partners who help make donation and transplant possible. Hello, Tina Montgomery, Supervisor of Community Outreach. In my role, I'm responsible for raising awareness and educating the community about organ, eye, and tissue donation. Daily, I'm asked a host of questions about the donation process and how it works. So we've elicited audience questions, and so we're going to put them on the wheel and spin it and see what questions come up so we can give you a great answer to that donation back. Oh, here we go. Big spin, big spin. We've landed on question number two. The question is, can non-residents donate or receive organs in the United States? 
Well, that's a really great question. And the answer to that is non-residents who do not live in the U.S. or are not U.S. citizens can donate and receive organs in the U.S. Organs are awarded to patients based on medical necessity, not citizenship. So thank you so much for that great question. Please join us again on our next episode of Let's Talk Hope, where we talk more donation facts and great stories. If you've enjoyed what you've heard today, please subscribe to Let's Talk Hope. This podcast is produced by Rivet. To hear more great podcasts, visit rivet360.com or wherever you listen to podcasts.